Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? Good. We had a, a couple weeks of, of one-on-one interviews that have been really exciting, but we uh, finally were able to get back together into the podcast studio to talk about the news. And we have uh, a couple interesting articles that have come out over the last couple weeks. Uh, and then we want to talk about some events that are coming up this weekend. So why don't we jump into the events first, and then we'll we'll talk about the articles after the break. Sure. This weekend, we've got, of course, the Door County Beer Festival and the Peninsula Century, or the, the Door County Big Fun Bike Race. Yeah. <laughs> What's the actual title of it? Uh, it's the Peninsula Century Spring Classic. There we um, go. We do four different routes out of Bailey's Harbor, 25-miler for those who have not gotten a lot of riding in yet uh, this season. Then we have a 50, a 62, which is a metric century, so you can say you did a century ride. And then uh, the 100-miler, which is like the official century. So uh, four routes, and I mean, they're great routes. You can ride anywhere in Door County. It's beautiful, right? But um, it's really a great way to see the whole peninsula in one morning slash afternoon. So Peninsula Pacers puts on two big bike rides every year, right? The Spring Classic and the Fall Century? Yeah, the Fall Challenge, yep. Okay. Both of them have like a four-route design, um, but they're they're kind of different um, views of the peninsula. Like the, the Fall Challenge leaves out of Sister Bay, so you get kind of a different... We have different routes for that one, and we also include like a bunch of hill climbs in that one, thinking, all right, people have gotten riding in all summer, they're in better shape, they're better prepared... So in that one, you we actually do a King of the Hills challenge where people time themselves and um, we give away a bunch of prizes for the best people who can climb some of the better hills in Door County. Spring Classic is more of a, a flatter, faster route, a um, little easier for the early season. And each of, each of the rides has six aid stations. So we get a bunch of cooperation from local restaurants who make pretty good um, food items that we feature at some of the rest stops, like uh, um, Wickman House, Door County Creamery, um, Time Cuisine are all involved. And so it's it's a great way to, it's not a race. Like That's one thing Brian Fitzgerald, the, the main organizer, always emphasizes to me. He's like, don't call it a race, call it a ride. It's not competitive. It's all about just um, getting on the bike. And yeah, there are some people who go really hammer it and will ride the whole thing at like 23, 24 miles an hour, which is crazy to me but you can also do it at your own pace and just have fun and enjoy the food and enjoy the the views at the rest stops and and the vistas along the route tell me a little bit about the routes for the the spring classic what are some of the the cool scenic locations that you're going to go through yeah you'll go through um like cave point county park is always one of our rest stops um you'll go up by the wickman house up in ellison bay and go down, go along like Garrett Bay and see some of those shipwreck overlooks kind of things. Um, some of like up that area, that north of Sister Bay area is some of the most beautiful riding 
and driving for that matter in in the county got down Garrett Bay Road and um some of those just winding long paths up there are just amazing so we touch on all parts of it and then you come down back through like the Ephraim side of things and towards Egg Harbor and into Egg Harbor and then kind of cut back across the peninsula so it's kind of cool to you know be on a bike and start in Bailey's Harbor and go as far as far north as like almost Northport and then as far south as Cave Point so you're really seeing this wide array of the peninsula how many how many participants do you usually get in the bike ride um in the bike rides compared to say like we also organize a half marathon so running events are not as contingent on the weather in a strange way uh cycling is so the biking events will usually be on the low end about 600 participants on the high end about 900 and it really is influenced a lot by what the weather forecast looks like um right now it looks like we're going to get lucky and have a a nice break maybe some sprinkles and showers on saturday um but it it looks like it's going to be all right last year we got clobbered with a crazy thunderstorm that we had to actually cancel the ride and pull riders off of the roads and we learned a lot from that just about getting our communication out so we have all of our riders nice now sign up for a text reminder um so on the day of the event if we do have severe weather or we do have any route changes or postponements and stuff we can send a mass text to everybody and keep everyone informed because you know it's 100 miles it's not like uh, a half marathon or a 5k where you where you really control the the time frame and the routes now people you know if you have some people going 25 miles an hour and some people going 15 they're going to be in totally different spots, even if they start at the same time. So you really can't just, hey, we're closing it, get off the road. You you have to find ways to communicate. So um, if if there is inclement weather, uh, which we we don't really anticipate there being anything that we would have to cancel for, it would basically be like lightning. But if it's raining, people still ride. Last year we had a crazy storm, and there were actually a number of people who still finished the full 100 miles. So some of these bikers are really, really hardy <laughs> riders. So if it wasn't enough to bring 600 to 900 bicyclists into Bailey's Harbor, the Door County Beer Festival is also in Bailey's Harbor this weekend, right? Yeah, we wanted to pile it on and, and bring more people in town. Is it is it a challenge to see how many people you can shove into that lot? <laughs> well, we've actually capped it now to um, limit. So we're almost sold out of Beer Fest tickets. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday morning, and I think we have about 60-some tickets left as I'm speaking right now. Um, so we cap it at about 1,200 uh, attendees just to make sure it doesn't get overcrowded in those tents. But I guess if you're listening to this on Friday and you haven't gotten your tickets and you want to go to Beer Fest, get on the website, DoorCountyBeerFestival.com. Correct. Website. Yep. Get on there and get your tickets right away because, like you said, 60 right now, that could be 30 tomorrow. Yeah. I wouldn't bank on being able to get them at the, at the door. Um, it's possible, but I would, I would expect that we'll sell out. Um, the tasting tent opens at noon. Uh, all the VIP tech tickets are already sold out. That event starts at 11. The general tasting tent opens at noon. It goes for four hours, and it's unlimited tastings. We have Kate Shanks has worked. Uh, she's a beer connoisseur here in the office, and she has worked closely with 45 different breweries to bring um, over 150 beers into Bailey's Harbor for people to taste and really got the breweries to to focus on bringing some unique stuff this year. So I think it's probably going to be our best selection of beers that we've had in the eight years that we've put this on. Um, we've, we've got a lot of, we've put a, she's put a lot of work in this year to get the breweries to, to bring people up who are either the brewer of the beer, um, the owner of the brewery, or 
a really knowledgeable person from the brewery to be pouring. So uh, we've got more knowledge sitting at these tables than we've ever had before. Um, a lot of these brewers themselves will be there. I know Dan and Deb Carey are here in town again from New Glarus Brewing Company. It's always cool to talk to them. You can't talk to a brewer who knows much more than Dan Carey does um, or much more about the industry than Deb Carey does. And then, you know, Peter Gentry from One Barrel, uh, Danny McMahon from Door County Brewing Company, the folks from Annapie will be up here. Um, just like a, it's, it's just such a cool day for me, even when like we're going crazy trying to keep this whole festival going of 1,200 people, but just running around and trying to soak up some knowledge from a lot of these guys. It's, it's cool to bring all these um, just really smart people in the industry right next door to us here at the Pulse office. Well, and that's one of the major pushes of the festival, too. It's not just about enjoying the unlimited tastings. It's about getting up close and personable, up close and personal with the people who make the beer and getting to pick their brain about your favorite brands. Yeah, like I love talking to Danny over at the brewery about, hey, what were you going for with this? What are you trying to do? What is the, um, you know, Door County Brewing Company versus the Hacienda label? What What's the different differentiation there? And what are you trying to get across with your with your beer? Because a lot of these people think of it and practice it as an art form, as, as a chef almost would. So um, I love picking their brains on all that. And then as just like a, a writer and kind of business junkie on it, too, is finding out, like, how are you finding your your niche? That's, you know, that we went from when we started this eight years ago, kind of hard to find a lot of small Wisconsin craft breweries to now it's like we have to turn away a lot of small Wisconsin craft breweries who just can't handle as many as there are. So it's a crowded field now. So how are you making yourself stand out? Well, how does the business model change? Whereas it seemed like if you started a small craft brewery 20 years ago, you probably had the option to sell out for a ton of money already. But if you started one in the last four or five years, the, the whole industry is different. It's much more crowded field. You don't stand out just by, hey, I have an IPA. It's like, okay, yeah, everyone's got that now. So what are you doing? It's, it's, it's a fun day for me just to talk to people when I'm not hauling trash around. Sure. Uh, in addition to all of the different beers, there's also live music all day. And then there's a ton of really, really great food available as well, right? Yeah. And the cool thing about that is if you don't have tickets to the beer festival, the food court and live music is open to everybody. You don't have to pay to get in there. Um, you can bring your kids and your dog and enjoy some food and enjoy some music. Open Tab, a really great band. They've played at Stabur a bunch of times. They played at the Door County Half Marathon. It's a it's a husband and wife uh, duo, and they do awesome covers. And she's got an amazing voice. And then Cajun Strangers is playing at 2 o'clock, and they're just like this great kind of, I don't even know how to describe this kind of Cajun blend of bluegrass and and rock that they play, but that they are great. And then they're going to play an encore performance at the brewery on Saturday night. Um, so you can catch them twice, and they're worth it. And then in the food court, Wickman House will be there, Shuckin' Oysters, Door County Creamery is going to be there, um, Time Cuisine will be there. They're also serving the post-ride meal for the bike riders. Um, we'll have Tapuat Kombucha will be there as well for both the bike ride and the beer fest, and Door County Kettle Corn, um, Wild Tomato, uh, actually Wild Restaurant Concepts is bringing, is, is going to have a food tent there that's sort of like a preview of what they're going to be opening down the street in Bailey's Harbor at the, oh, yeah? the Yum Yum Tree location. So some really good food. Like I, I'm always impressed by what um, all these restaurants that participate in this event, what they bring to the table and do the kind of the street food grab and go stuff that just gives you this, this sampling of what these guys do in their the great restaurants every day. 
Anything else that you want to touch on about the two events this weekend before we take a break? Just uh, one final reminder, the you can still register for the bike ride. Online registration will be closed by the time this podcast comes out, but you can register Friday night at Packet Pickup from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Bailey's Harbor Town Hall, or you can still register Saturday morning at Packet Pickup. So you can make a last-second decision. We'll take care of you, get you all the information you need. And uh, with the Beer Fest, um, tickets may sell out before Saturday, so I'd go uh, com. And then just buy them online and, and make sure you're covered. Cool. Well, with that, why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, I want to touch on a, a little bit of news, uh, including an article that Jim Lundstrom wrote about uh, the good eggs, great eggs uh, scandal, if we can call it a scandal <laughs> that that went on. And one of one of the funniest articles we push out. Yeah, it's time. fantastic. So let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get into that. They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So first up, uh, I wanted to talk about an article that you wrote for Father's Day that uh, kind of ties into a bunch of different things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks uh, in kind of an interesting way. So uh, tell me a little bit about that article. Yeah, so I um, last year when we were doing our sustainability issue, um, at the last second, somebody had suggested that I talk to Brian and Holly LaPlante. And a couple of, Brian owns a farm in kind of Carlsville, Sevastopol area. And that's between Sturgeon Bay and Egg Harbor. And what's happening there is he is slowly going to be selling his farm to his daughter, um, Holly, who is 24. And when this person had talked to me about it, it was too late to include in the sustainability issue. And then I talked to them. And as soon as I talked to Holly, I was like, oh, man, this is this is a great story because she just started. I asked her a simple question. I'm like, yeah, I've heard you are going to be taking over the farm. Is that correct? And she said, yeah, hopefully over time we're working on figuring out how I'm going to do that. And I'm like, oh, how did, why, what made you decide to do that? And she just had such a touching way of talking about it. And it just struck me because she was saying, you know, I've, I've walked, watched my dad work so hard all his life. And I had this, you know, as I'm a junior in high school, looking at colleges and trying to figure out what my next step is, I realized I don't, I don't want to be away for four years. I don't want to leave him doing all this work by himself, and I don't want to leave the farm. And she said, I realized then that, like, I just, I just want to take over the farm. I want to do work with the animals. I want to give my dad a break in the future. Um, and she actually was kind of choked up about it. And so I went and visited the farm last summer and talked to them a couple more times. And it's just a, a neat thing because you look at a lot of farmers, they struggle in today's world to balance, 
you know, maintaining themselves as a small family farm versus got to go big and become one of these factory farms. And so they're, they're towing the line on that balance. They have about 100 cows that they milk, but they cash crop about 1,700 acres. Um, it's a lot of work. So it's just Brian and his brother, Brad, and then his wife, uh, Ann, does the books, and then Holly helps them out. So here's a 20, at the time I started talking to her, a 23-year-old who had decided, like, I, I want to get into this business. And um, it was just kind of cool walking around that farm, Brian talking about, you know, like a lot of farmers I talk to, they say, like, we, you want to pass on this work ethic, and you want to pass on this appreciation for the land and this lifestyle, but you don't want to like guilt trip your kids into feeling like they have to take over the farm. Cause it's not like an, it's not like there's a lot of options for a farmer to sell his business. Like, like any, any business is hard to sell, but that's a particularly tough one. And it's a tough lifestyle. You're, especially in dairy farming, you're wedded to the clocks of the cows. So every day in the morning and every day at night, you have to milk them. Like you can't, can't skip out on that. Um, so you miss a lot of your kids' baseball games and their softball games and their basketball games and their extracurriculars. And yet most of the people I talk to, they say it's worth it. And the kids, even if, even if they decide not to stay in the farm, they really seem to appreciate that with the lessons they learn on it and the, the opportunity to be around the animals. So I just thought for Father's Day, it, it finally made sense for me to write this thing up. And, um, it's just kind of cool because you, you know, a father and a daughter on a, on a small farm working their tails off together. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's a great story to be able to tell. Well, and it, it, the, the thing that kind of strikes me too is, is the, the spirit of young entrepreneurialism is something that we kind of touch on a lot in Door County and people, young people, especially coming in and jumping in feet first to start these businesses. And this is, this is a version of that. And yeah. it's a version of that, that, Maybe we don't focus on as much because, but, but I'm sure it's something that happens more often than we think. Yeah. We look at people who, we write about people who are starting, young people starting a gift shop or an artist or a restaurant all the time. We, you know, farms are big business and a big, complicated, difficult business. And we probably don't give farmers enough credit for that entrepreneurial spirit that we give other people. And, you know, in this case, Holly will be taking over a farm that, it's pretty rare. You know, there are there are more women in farming, according to the USDA's um, ag census that came out in 2017. There's more women in farming than ever before. Most of them are on farms of that have gross revenues of $10,000 or less. So these are a, a lot, and this is not to diminish it at all, but because my, my parents would probably fall in this category, but it's smaller ho hobby farms or gardens, or maybe they have a couple of horses or something like that. What she's taking over is a massive operation, gross revenues. So the next tier is like over a hundred thousand dollars. Only 5% of the farms at a, that gross a hundred thousand dollars or more are primarily operated by women. So she is a, a true rarity in being a young farmer because the average age of a farmer now is 59 and it's going up a couple of years in age every couple of years. So there, there's not many young people coming into this. And so she's a young farmer. She's a woman taking over a major operation. Um, it's a really ambitious thing and it's really risky. It's a really tough business. Like any business is risky. I don't want to diminish anyone doing a restaurant because I've been there. It's hard. It's difficult. 
uh, a gift shop is hard and difficult, but a massive operation like that with the responsibility of that many animals and that much acreage, that is a really gutsy move. And to speak to the difficulty of it, this spring has been extremely wet, um, tons of rain, tractors just literally sinking into the mud in the field as they try to plant. So talking to Holly the other day, she's like, yeah, this year has been particularly hard. On June 8th, they finally got all their crops in. And that's about at least two weeks behind your typical late year. Um, They like to get all their crops in by mid-May. Some years they get them in by May 1st. So you're looking at five to six weeks behind like a best case scenario. That means you get one less crop turn. Um, So, you know, if you look at some of the stories nationwide, we might be looking at a jack in food prices this fall because the harvests are just going to be so much smaller. And some farmers are not even planting their fields. They're just like, you know, it's too late now. We'll just take the insurance money. And it just doesn't make sense for us to to plant at this point. So you're going to see a lot of empty fields this uh, summer in Door County. Well, when we when we talked about rain over the last couple of weeks, we focused primarily on the how high the water is. Right. Um, but even as I would drive, because on my way home from work, I drive by a farm every day. And even on my way home, there were there were days that just water as far as you could see in in the fields. And I guess from my perspective, I don't think of that as like, oh, that's probably a problem. I just think, yeah, it's just water on the field. Right. But it, I'm sure it is. Yeah, it's a big problem for farmers. And, you know, we can we can have fun looking at the water levels and, hey, it's up and down. And you, maybe you think of it in terms of, can I jump off that swimming pier? You know, farmers looking at this, for them, it can be life and death on the farm. Yeah, it's their livelihood. Yeah. Whereas I look at the high water levels and I'm like, oh, look, when you run on the, the swimming pier in Sister Bay, it splashes up. Isn't that cool? Right. <laughs> um, but then also we have, you know, these weird major April snowstorms. I'm sure those are having a crazy effect on stuff, too, because you're just pushing everything. Yeah. I mean, there was five, six years ago when we were at that point where water levels were low and we were having re- very mild winters. I remember my parents getting a bunch of tomatoes in the ground in end of March. You know, we were having 70, 80 degree days. Now, I mean, it's it's June and it's still, it's there's always kind of hoodie weather in the summer up here. But now it's still like some of these days you can throw a winter jacket on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You'll see that article in this Friday's edition of The Pulse. Cool. Uh, so last up on the list that I want to talk about, uh, Jim Lundstrom wrote an article about uh, good eggs. And... I'll just I'll just let you tee it up because when I first saw the story, not only did it come out of left field for me, but it is it is a really entertaining read. Just yeah. the way that it was written, and and you've got some quotes from Joel that you're gonna bring out. But I guess the basics is uh, there is a good eggs copycat called Great Eggs, and it's not just similar; it's like straight up a ripoff. Can you call it that? I mean. It's sort of like a sliding doors thing, right? Like this is another dimension where Good Eggs had just started a different restaurant and it was in Lake Geneva and they just called it Great Eggs and the logo is slightly different. It's like you went slightly off on your choose your own adventure, but this is real. They're in the same dimension (laughs) and these people, I don't, I mean, they did talk to Joel before opening this place and talked about franchising and Joel said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing the franchise thing, but have at it. Like, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, one of his lines is like, I, I didn't invent the burrito. So, and I didn't invent breakfast. So have at it. He didn't expect them to do the exact same thing. Like, right. the menu works the same way. The logo is 
almost exactly the same. And the name they chose was Great Eggs. <laughs> right. Like if you were if you were to go to another like beachy vacation town, I, I guess it wouldn't be super surprising to see like a like a walk up burrito stand. You know what I mean? Like somebody who do, does just breakfast burritos, something similar to what Joel is doing at Good Eggs. It wouldn't be that weird. But to, to take it the next step, not only do you have a logo that is almost exactly the same and a name like Great Eggs, I think is really funny because that would be like me naming my restaurant like Better Al Johnson's or Al Johnson's <laughs> but good like yeah. that. It's the same idea. Al Johnson. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. They should have um, just named it Good Eggs, too. Right. Yeah. Just just don't even try. Just use the exact same logo. Why not? Um it, well, here's one of the quotes that he said he, he told the folks from Lake Geneva when they asked him about it. He said, there are no copyrights for recipes. There are no intellectual property rights in the kitchen. I didn't discover breakfast. I didn't invent the burrito. And I don't begrudge anybody who wants to make a living doing what I do. So he told he wished them well. He told them to do it, but make it their own. And then when it came out and they had like the basically the same logo, he said, I had to shake my head a little bit. I was a little bit taken aback at the degree to which they did everything pretty verbatim. They were pretty proud of themselves that they put waves beneath the logo. They thought that was a fantastic addition. In their minds, making it their own. (laughs) Like, it's... And I wish I could speak in Joel's tenor of voice, because Joel is so laid back and and chill, but also very articulate and... um, I can just see him saying all these lines, like, as he's flipping eggs at the the grill. Like, uh, he's a classic, like... I don't care. Do your thing, man. Whatever. <laughs> it's great. Um, well, and and this would, I, I think the, the best part about this is that Joel's kind of laid back about it. And he touches in, like, he touches on copyright infringement and, like, legal action and that kind of stuff as well. But he he's kind of like, eh, you know what? In a way, it's kind of flattery. But in another way, like, the the major problem, I think, from his perspective is that if people are confusing these two and they suck... That's going to be bad for Joel. Yeah. If they're not good, and I think he says that, he's like, as long as they don't make the burritos disgusting, and then people don't like burritos anymore, that would hurt my business. But he's like, the one worry would be, okay, if somebody went there, had a bad experience, and when they come to Door County, they think that that's the same owner, you know, and then they don't ever, ever try Joel's. So the what Jim did a great, great job of is talking to an attorney and talking to some people about trademark law. And kind of wrapping that into this story, too, because that's the obvious thing. Oh, why doesn't he sue? And if you know Joel, you're like, Joel's not going to sue anybody. He's just, it's just not where he wants to tie up his time is going after this intellectual trademark. So, And he said he's had other people ask about franchising as well. And he said, no, man, just do your own thing. Try to be respectful. And I wish you luck. And I, one of his lines here at the end is, I tell them the same thing I told the Lake Geneva folks. In fact, I told them they should go to Lake Geneva and see how they're enjoying it. If someone were to go and franchise the concept and make 100 stores and multiple million dollars, none of my buddies would feel sorry for me and say, oh, Joel was about to do that. Because I'm not about to do that. <laughs> like, it's right. I mean, he, he's got his place. He's been rocking it for, I think, 15, 16, maybe 17 years now. And... He does it well. He does a great thing, and people love that place, and they should. And he's like, I, I, and he's done some little one-off things where he was doing burritos at the tap for a while. But it's a good example coming from a guy who tried to open and run three restaurants when I was eighteen. 
and learn the faults of expanding and, and getting away from your like your core thing. He's got the right idea of like, hey, I'm just going to do my thing and do it really well. And as long as I'm doing that, it'll come back to me. Kind of like Paul Wanish at the soup kitchen. He's not trying to be all these different things. He's like, I'm going to make really good soup. I'm going to have a, a good, simple sandwich at a good price. And if people don't like that, screw them. <laughs> right. Well, Paul's an interesting example, too, because you can kind of equate the two things. If you were to go after great eggs, uh, it that legal battle might be complicated because it's like, well, you can't copyright the kitchen. You can't copyright the food. Uh, you probably can't even copyright the name very well because you can't copyright eggs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, the combination of good eggs together, maybe there's something there. But it's like, what do you go after? You could go after the logo, maybe, because it's so close. <laughs> yeah. But it, it'd be the same thing if somebody opened up uh, a small soup kitchen and, you know, they had four soups on rotation and they called it, like, Polly's Polish name or something. And then, you know, yeah. it, it's hard to be like, hey, you're ripping me off because... The, the copyright law doesn't support it as well. So I think Joel is, you know, not only is it great that he's got the attitude that he does, but the 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 poll quotes and everything, this article is just fun to read. Like yeah. You should check it out. It's such a bizarre story. Check it out and then go to Good Eggs and try to get Joel talking about it. It'll. I'm just saying that so you drive him nuts because he's probably so sick of talking about it. But if you can get him going, it'd be pretty fun. And meanwhile, since Joel doesn't care, I'm going to open a little breakfast burrito place in Bailey's Harbor. Probably, I'm thinking like adequate eggs, something like that. Fine eggs. Maybe like, maybe not even a good sunset in the logo. Uh, maybe just like cloudy skies and just, just see where that takes me. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And in 20 years when I open up uh, Andrew Johnson's and I've got yeah. dogs on the roof, <laughs> uh, we can come together and we can celebrate cows. our millions. Do cows on the roof. Cows. On, okay, there you go. You just got to get them up there though. That must be. That's why it's going to be fun. We'll need an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Uh, definitely check out both of those articles this week in The Pulse because they're not only interesting in terms of the article you wrote on Holly, but the the, the Great Eggs article is just it's fantastic. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Miles, and I'll see you again next week. All right. Thanks, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.